Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello there and happy Thursday. I'm your host, David Temple, and this is The Thriller Zone. So glad you spun across that dial, as we used to say on the radio, and join us. In this case, click download, I suppose. On today's show, we are celebrating almost a one-year anniversary. We're actually about 30 days shy. But my very first guest, almost one year ago today-ish, was May Cobb. And her book, My Summer Darlings, is what we're going to be talking about today. Almost a year ago, it was The Hunting Wives. It was uh, quite a read. This one is as well. So without any further ado, let's get into the green room where May Cobb is waiting to talk about my summer darlings. Cheers. Cheers. What's How that? Are that, you? Looks, that looks better than what I'm having. This is a, a double espresso. Let's see. It's noon your time, so you're probably having a little cool, refreshing drink, right? Yeah, I'm having a guava kombucha. <laughs> Y'all got some guava kombucha up in there. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? It's good to see you again. It's good. Well, it's good to see you for the first time. Listen, you have just blown up since last we talked. So, I mean, I'm I don't just know about that. <laughs> I'm just glad you've agreed to be on the show. <laughs> I have not blown up, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, May Cobb, welcome back. You know, we are one month shy of being one year anniversary, and you were guest number one. That's crazy. Thanks for having me back. Oh, well, we're going to talk to about my summer darlings. Are we are we live now? What do you mean, are we live now? Of course, we're well, we're we're recorded live. Okay, good. I just, yeah. you know, I'll, I'm going to watch my language from here on. And <laughs> actually, would you do me a favor and not watch your language? Just whatever the hell fire spit stone you want to do is fine with me. Okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's, let's do a little catch up since last we spoke about one year ago, it was a hot and steamy afternoon you had had a recent tragedy we won't have to go into that uh, i hope you're doing well and you i was in lake tahoe on business and you were hanging out i want to i'm gonna make it romantic you were hanging out on the back porch in your swings <laughs> sipping on a cool beverage just like you are today <laughs> that's funny I'm like, I'm trying to remember the tragedy. I'm like, it's just ever since 2020, it's been nonstop. So I'm, you, you had it, a friend die. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Wow. But, but you, uh, you were a champion. You came on the show. You were, you know, you were brilliant. We had a wonderful time. And I was trying to remember as I was preparing early this morning, I was like, how did May and I cross paths? And I think Susie Spencer. Susie Spencer, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Susie has introduced me to more fabulous people. Viewers listen, right? 
or do they also see me? Well, here's here's the good news. The, they they do hear you on all podcast channels. We're now everywhere. And yes, they they do see you because I simulcast this on the YouTube channel. Oh, cool. Okay, yeah. awesome. Why are you having second thoughts or no, did you not at all? I just like to know. Um, did you uh, want to call in hair and hair and makeup, please on the set? I do need to call in hair and makeup. Yeah, it's been a wild morning. Like our AC broke in our car and you know, right now in Texas, that's catastrophic. So we were scrambling. We're a one car family. So we're a one horse town, David. And we had to find it. <laughs> so, so yes, the hair and makeup went out the window this morning, but everyone can see how it looked naturally. <laughs> you know, and this is a very real show. Uh, I, I'm, I'm actually wearing a dress shirt, but no pants. So see, there's the... <laughs> Yeah, but you look great and you look ready. And I look like I've been running around trying to find a rental car. <laughs> anyway, well, Do you need uh, just a quick second to? No, I'm good. Okay, okay. I'm going to go with the natural look. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's perfectly lovely. So there. Thank you. Yes. And here's my lovely book that matches my shirt. I noticed that. This cover. Isn't that great? It is so great. Um, this Very is yeah, this is one of those covers that uh, you, I just want a cocktail the minute I see it. I know, right? Doesn't it make you want to make bad decisions? And <laughs> We have so much to talk about, and a lot of it does include bad decisions. Um, uh, side note about cocktails. I, I was going to bring this up later, but I'm going to bring it up now. Because um, I know you and I uh, enjoy refreshing beverages, adult beverages. Yes. And this weekend, uh, this past week, I said to my wife, Tammy, I'm like, Tammy, I'm just in a, I'm in a hankering mood for the Vesper Martini, which we, as uh, anyone who knows James Bond, that was one that he made famous. Oh. And so we were out of town visiting family recently, and I ordered one, and it is an ass kicker. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to say that straight up front. It's three parts gin, one part vodka, and half part Lille Blanc, which is a French aperitif wine. I have never heard of this martini before. It does sound like an ass kicker. It's delicious. You only need one or two. Yeah. Yeah, I would only need one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you have, well, there's no driving involved. Yeah. yeah. But it did make me think of, as I was preparing this morning, it did make me think about the gals in the book and then the gals that I met a year ago in the hunting marsh. <laughs> Those girls like to kick up their heels and suck on some liquor. <laughs> well, you know East Texas, so <laughs> don't act shocked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, David, come on now. How do you think we put up with this heat? Exactly. Uh, well, I will say that I have been stalk, uh, uh, glancing at your Instagram. <laughs> Instagram photos and just watching the the success of this book and seeing I always like to check in on your son and and hubby and I because I'm always wondering who's doing the photography and the cocktails. I mean, it's been a wild summer for you so far and it's only May. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> yes, it's been wild. We're recovering from COVID. So it's been wild. Has the whole family now had it? Um, I think my son probably brought it home, but he wasn't really affected, thank goodness, because 
I was kind of worried about him the most. And uh, yeah, Hubs and I got it and that's, we didn't spread it to anyone else. Um, but wow, it was not just a cold. It was, it was like a three week journey. That's the thing that uh, my wife uh, has been a little under the weather recently and we were revisiting when I got it. And did you find that that tail end of it just goes on and on? You just don't want to do anything. Yeah, I'm kind of still in it. I do feel really good today. Um, but yeah, by about one o'clock, two o'clock, it's like, I'll take a nap and I'll wake up and not know where I am like that, that much fatigue. And it's like, holy hell. So yeah. yeah. So you had the same experience. Yes. And daddy likes his afternoon naps. Uh, it doesn't have to be long, but uh, yeah, here's what I learned best. You have to take time to heal. Yes. Because yeah. I don't know if you're wired like me and the wife, we're just like, we start feeling a little bit better. We're like, let's go at it. And you'll take two steps forward and one back if you do that. We did the, we did the same thing. And then it's like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to work. I'm not going to do anything. And I, I canceled some stuff and I pushed some stuff off because I was like, clearly I need to rest Yeah. for lunch week. Cause oh my God, it's like tomorrow. So yeah. This is a big week for you. Yeah, it is. It'll be fun in-person events. So I'm excited. It's so nice to have that back. Now, where will you kick off uh, the event? Uh, this will, will you do a, like a full tour or is what's the, yeah, what's I will just some Texas stops, but book people tomorrow night in Austin. And then Wednesday, I have a virtual with the poison pen in Arizona Thursdays in person in Houston at Murder by the Book, which I'm very excited about. And then next Wednesday, I'm in Dallas at Interabang. And I haven't been on book tour since 2018. So I'm just so happy. Now, let me ask you something because they all run a little bit differently. I just interviewed uh, Chris Hottie at Warwick's here in La Jolla uh, last week. Do you get to, do, do you enjoy the process and do you get to, do you get up and are you interviewed by someone and do you read an excerpt from your book and answer questions and the whole sh caboodle? I'm glad that you asked that because I have to, where is the book? I have to give a shout out to <clears throat> my partner in crime that's coming uh, to book people with me. Um, so I'm going to be in conversation with Katie Gutierrez, who's a very good friend of mine. And this is the UK proof of her book but it's more than you'll ever know and uh yeah so we'll we'll just do like I just told her I just like to do a real casual conversation yeah um and that book is the Washington Post just reviewed it this weekend it's a stunner you will love it David um okay. and everyone else will too and uh and then, yeah, Ashley Winstead, the amazing thriller author, is going to be with me at Murder, and then I'll be alone in Dallas. And then the, also the amazing, amazing author, Jesse Sutanto, will be with me at the Poison Pen. So I love being in conversation with people, and I like yeah. it when it's just super casual, like how you and I are talking, because I think... Yes, some like poignant questions need to be asked and stuff, but I think people appreciate it when it's just more casual or at least I do 
No, I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you know, I go back to my radio days and the the interviews over those two and a half, almost three decades, my most memorable and the ones that got the biggest ratings that everyone enjoyed were the real just sit down conversations, not the, so tell me, John, uh, we understand that, you know, it's the, you know, it's this just shooting the shit like we do and yeah. that, that people like because it's real. Before I forget, the author that you just showed me with that ginormous font on the front. What is her name yeah. again? Yeah, Katie Katie Gutierrez. Got and it. The book is more than you'll ever know. And you'll have to you'll have to tell introduce us so we can get her on the show. Yeah. Yes, I will. Yep, she's lovely, and her book is amazing. Let us jump if we if we're caught up so far, and we can always move back and forth. Not a big deal. But let's talk about my summer darlings. Uh, okay. I again, I want a cocktail, honey. Can you get me a? It's a, it's it's a little early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At first, May, I'm gonna say straight up, I thought I was almost reading a sequel to The Hunting Wives. I'm gonna bring that book up on screen, so you, yeah, it's gonna be in all its glory. But it did feel there was a similarity to Hunting Wives. And but then when I discovered that multi point of view, I was like, oh, buckle in, daddy, because we're going on a ride. <laughs> tell us, tell us just how you came up with that idea uh, for Jen and Kitty and Cynthia, that that multi point of view, because it starts out. I made a note. It starts out on uh you know present and then it does a quick little flashback but then it then it takes you in what feels like kind of real time throughout the basically the summer but yeah give, give us an idea how you came up with that and the thinking behind that yeah i um the so i don't know if you remember the film the witches of eastwick oh yeah yeah so I, I had that in mind as inspiration because I loved the, the three best friends and the mysterious stranger moving to town and upending all their lives kind of trope. And I wanted to do that in East Texas without the paranormal stuff. And I thought it could just be another fun way to explore like adults behaving badly and twisty, complicated female friendships and like how far obsession would go. And with the hunting wives, you know, it was all from one point of view, which I love those novels. But as a writer, sometimes on page 300, you just want to bludgeon the character because you're so <laughs> sick of being in their head. And so I really wanted to do like be able to take breaks from my characters and just have it be like, I love books that have multiple points of view. Yeah. And for Cynthia's, you know, it's, 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 her point of view is through her journal and I love those kinds of devices too, where there's like a different layer or texture to the narrative. So I wanted to just sort of play around and see, you know, I'm not a big plotter, but I wanted to see what would happen if I put these women in this pressure cooker, how they would behave. That's a or good that's a good comment because we uh, we bring this up on the show quite often because our listenership is so many writers and uh, yeah. plotter versus pants or plotter you know people who plot out an outline and pants right by the seat of your pants but you're you're kind of more of a you like to do a little bit more free freestyle don't you I really do like I always have a one page sort of overview which might read like the copy on the back of a book or a query or something because I find that that keeps me uh, kind of grounded. And if I get like panicky, like what's the story about, I can go back to that one page. 
And I might have a plot point or a later twist that comes to me, you know, as I'm working on page 50 and I'll definitely type that up, but I really like to write and have it be revealed to me as I'm writing to me. That's, that's the fun part is not knowing. Sure. Sure. I sometimes with thrillers though, as you know, like you can get into trouble doing (laughs) that. And sometimes some of the best thrillers, I've read the authors like, no, I had a 12 page outline and I stuck to it. Like the woman in the window. I love that book. And he had everything plotted out, but you know, he's a former editor and that's how his brain works. So I I wish I had that brain. I don't. So I'm just left with my cheap tricks (laughs) and, (laughs) and, uh, you know, gut level like vibe of trying to see the story and, run through the forest at night, you know, and hope it works out. It's so amazing to me. And and I have such a beautiful front row seat here to thriller writers in that when you find out, like you'll take Jeffrey Deaver, for instance, who writes a 100 page outline. Wow. Really? Wow. One, he said at a minimum, 100 wow. pages. That's crazy. But but he ha- he has so many hooks and switchbacks and tricks and you know that he said if I didn't do that, uh, I, I would get lost in the shuffle and uh, and then you have other guys who uh, and I think Chris Hottie was saying that you know uh, I think Don Winslow's mentioned that some of the big guys they just sit, they get down and they sit down and write and just go and I admire both and I think they both have their place so there is no right or wrong. That makes um, sense. Yeah, I think whatever, what works for you. And one page, sometimes for you, for instance, uh, May, one page, you kind of know where your A goes to B to goes to C. So, you, you know, that's all you really need. The map for you, if you will, taking a tr- road trip, you know, you're starting here and you're ending here and you're going to go through a couple of towns. So, Exactly. And especially for my kind, I mean, I feel like my books are more like hybrid women's fiction thrillers, for sure. This one, even more than The Hunting Wives. The Hunting Wives definitely had more of a a plot sort of to it. Not that this doesn't, but um, if I was writing some very complex, you know, mystery with a ton of twists, I probably would have to do a lot more work up front to make it, you know, sound. And before I deep dive on Will Harding, which we're going to do in about 30 seconds, I want to say this, and I and please take this as the compliment in which I'm intending. I have a feeling that if you wanted to, whether it was a pen name or otherwise, if you wanted to try your hand at writing romance, you would kill it. Really? Oh, my God. Girl, <laughs> I mean, let's talk about it. You got three uh, gals suburban housewives of sorts that are a little tired and or frustrated with their current situation. And this long, tall drink of water rolls into town and they all want to jump him. So, I mean, it's kind of laying right there in front of you going, come on, give me some of that romance. (laughs) Well, maybe I will. You never know. My mother-in-law, who uh, is uh, quite a reader, an insatiable reader, uh, she read a f- my first books, and, and I had a couple of steamy scenes in there. Mm-hmm. And I asked her after what I had, when she was done, she goes, uh, did you like it, Ma? Yeah, I did, but I really wanted more sex. Really? <laughs> That's I'm funny. like, okay, well, I'll get, I'll get right on that. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love it. <laughs> yeah. 
So let's talk about Will Harding. What kind of a guy is this? What's his background? He's What's he rolling into town? Again, I don't want to give away spoilers, so I, I'm leaving that heavy lifting to you. I will say that he, um, let's see. So he's clearly uh, wealthy and he takes up residence in one of the, you know, the most opulent mansions in this neighborhood, which, uh, you know, no one sort of knows anything about him. And there's not much of an internet trail either. So he's super mysterious. And he's also like all good psychopaths oozing charm right and left and he knows exactly what to say to each of these women to have them sort of fall under his spell and you know he's like yeah he's got like a european accent and he's well read um and just very different from the men of east texas so right off the bat i mean he's going to turn heads while you're on that, how would you describe him physically? Um, Alexander Skarsgård. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to describe him. Okay. And what part of that description do you not feel has a romantic thread? We could call it romance thriller. I mean, how about, you know, yeah. kicking that genre in the pants? I mean, I think it kind of is, honestly. Yeah. Like, I think, so my good buddy, Scott Montgomery, who's um, like the crime fiction guru over at Book People, uh, and he's an amazing author too. He he just read it and I bumped into him at the books for the day. And he said, it's really like a like an, a 90s erotic thriller, like the films, like Adrian Lynn. And I was like, that's the biggest compliment because that's like, what I used to be obsessed with. And that's kind of, I think what I'm going for, but just maybe with a little more of the, from the female gaze. Yeah. I'm trying to think of uh, what, what was the Sharon Stone movie that was all a rage. Uh, uh, Basic instinct. Yeah. There's yeah. a little, you know, it has kind of that feel. So yeah. girlfriend, I mean, I think you're smack dab in the crosshairs middle of it. And just saying, I'm <laughs> just saying. But back to hunting wise, because it was my first introduction to you, what it, it does share with summer darlings, let's see, hot and sticky Austin, Texas backdrop, ever flowing, chilling cocktails and the mixture of big, bold characters. So, you know, I think with that combination, it has, I mean, outside of guns and planes, it has something for everybody, right? <laughs> Yes, uh, hunting wives had some guns, though. Oh, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, that's yeah, I'm talking about summer darlings. But yeah, yeah, oh. the, the girls love to shoot them up those shotguns. Sorry, I am I'm slow this morning. No, it's uh, all good. Yeah, yeah, they're very much like cousins, and and it's funny because they're both set in Longview, Texas, my hometown, and I don't know why I decided to name them each a different town. Like anyone's going to be fooled. So. So for the book I'm in edits on now, I just call it Longview, Texas, because, okay, like that's, that's what it is. So I, yeah, they're, they're, they definitely have the same DNA. Um, for my summer darlings, I did want to make the characters a little bit more grounded in reality. So maybe they're not as wildly rich as the women of the hunting wives. Uh -huh. And even though they don't work outside the home and whatever, I think they feel more like people you might know than the hunting wives yeah. who 
they're just really not that relatable. <laughs> um, so I, I really tried to, you know, explore what it's like to raise um, surly teenagers and just be bored when you, you know, hit, you know, you're approaching midlife and it's like the teenagers are going to leave in a few years and what's left. And uh, is it, uh, is it this, is I've really been married to the same person for 30 years or 20 years or whatever. I'm terrible at math and he's on my nerves or he's boring now or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. So welcome yeah. to real life though. Right. I mean, yeah, totally, totally. Which is, which is why we read. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Let's take a short break and we'll return with more May Cobb on The Thriller Zone right after this. David Temple here, host of the podcast, The Thriller Zone, and author of several books. Oh, here's one, The Imposter. Oh, here's one, The Poser. Oh, here's another, Devour. Yeah, I write books. I write books for a living. I spend my time at the keyboard creating worlds. I don't spend time at the website building world. You know why? I'm not a professional. If you want to put your best foot forward and play with the big boys, go to authorbytes.com. Here's why. Sign up for a one-year contract, get three months free. Where can you get a deal like that? Just use the code THETHRILLERZONE, sign up for a one-year contract, get three months free. Let the professionals take care of what they do, which is building websites that are pretty, sexy, secure. They got updates. They got plugins. They take care of that. Just use the code The Thriller Zone. Sign up for a one-year contract. Get three months free. Authorbytes.com. And now back to the show. Let's talk a second about this. And remember uh, our conversation a year ago? We we're talking about Longview, and I told you we shared a similarity because I went to a college prep program in Longview, Texas. Yes. Yeah, you went to Laterno. Laterno, yeah. hottest summer of my life. Yeah, it is. It's insane. People don't understand how humid it is there. It's like, yeah, it's really, I, yeah. I always thought that Texas heat was going to be like, uh, we've got friends in Palm Springs and Palm Desert. I always thought it would be kind of like that heat, which is a dry heat, which it can get up to 102, 3, 4, 5, and you're like, yeah, it's hot. But but out there, 105 is like you're walking around inside a dry cleaner bag in the, <laughs> yes. the swamp. I mean. <sighs> yes, yes. So East Texas, the, the, the region that we're talking about for the listeners is um, the town is 30 minutes. No, that's not right. Yeah, no, it is 30 minutes from the Louisiana border. And so it's very much that sort of swampy Louisiana dry cleaner bag <laughs> vibe in the summer where like in Austin, it, it's still humid here for sure, but it's more like a dry, you're getting more arid, more West Texas but you go up there and yeah, it's just, it's insane. So like no one up there can be normal because of the heat. No, I'm just kidding. I love all my <laughs> East Texas people. <laughs> so where I was headed before I went down the uh, hot, steamy dry cleaner bag uh, filling, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts. Now I know you've got an MA in lit from um, SFSU. And I wonder, do you think, do you, 
What are your thoughts as you see now looking in your rearview mirror about higher education? Because I've talked to so many different people on the show. They're like, oh, yeah, a, a, a master's is really valuable or no, it's not. Or it's great if you're going to teach or, you know, it's, it makes you a step above. What What's your thoughts now as it pertains to uh, having lived the writer's dream after getting the degree? Great question. I absolutely, <clears throat> for me personally, don't think it's necessary at all. And I think it's an enormous cost. And um, I feel like at the time I needed to do it for no other reason than I was doing research for the nonfiction book I'm still working on. And I wanted to have a lifestyle that wasn't like nine to five where I could fly around and do my research and interview people. And, and it also, I wasn't ready to leave the world of academia. So, but in hindsight with the, you know, the student loans and the debt and stuff, oh my God, no, I shouldn't have done that. But, you know, I don't think it helped me in terms of my writing fiction. I don't. Maybe it helped my undergrad program was so strong at the University of Texas that that really, that was where I sort of learned to read because I didn't really know before then coming out of high school, like how to analytically read stuff and find themes. So I had some really great teachers there that taught me that skill and graduate school was just, it's so brainy and cerebral and so much of it to me is just, like what you talk about in those classes can just be BS. And <laughs> so I know it's, that sounds terrible, um, but, but that's the truth. So I, so that's MA. I didn't even know MFAs were a thing. Like that's how country I was. I might've gone after an MFA, but I'm kind of glad I didn't because I'm one that can be very influenced by criticism. And I feel like it at 23 years old, if I had thrust myself into some program, like, if I had gotten in even, I don't know that I would be writing. Like for me, I think reading is the most important thing. Reading as many books as you can. And I love Stephen King's book on writing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and I think he kind of says the same thing, like almost like be leery of workshops. Now, having said that I did get into um, an online workshop group, writers group, and I, I don't even know when it was, but it actually was the thing that helped me start really writing. Oh, cool. But, but this was a special group of people. And even though we don't do that anymore, we're still really close and I've never met them in real life, but we still text each other, stay in touch. And I don't know if you know the novelist, um, Luis Alberta Urea, Alberto no. Urea. I just mispronounced his name, but um, he he's actually from Tijuana and San Diego. And anyway, it was his group and it was just a small little band of us. And anyway, I don't think any of that's necessary. If there's writers out there wondering if they need a degree to write. No, I think read as much as possible, meet other authors, study the craft. There's so many cheap ways here in Austin. We have something called the writers league of Texas. And for 50 bucks a year, you can join and they have classes all the time, virtual. I don't know if they have in-person right now and they have conferences. And I took some of those classes just to study craft and work on craft. And I, I mean, I don't know. How about you? What do you think? Like, 
Well, I'm, um, I, I've, I kind of sit on that fence that says, uh, like, all right, here, let me say this. I have read some guys and gals over the last year. Uh, I've got a wall of books that I've read. <clears throat> and the ones that have gotten their MFA, I can't quite put my finger on it, May, but it is clear that they are in a slightly different league. I'm not saying they're better or worse. I'm just saying they're in a slightly different league in that it is different. There's some MFA guys out there that are just cranking some really hot stuff. Yeah. Conversely, there are guys that have no education and just are blue collar guys who said one day, I've got a great story and I read those book books and they're equally fantastic. So yeah. having now gotten my own master's, but in something completely different, which was broadcast management, I'm not a big fan of higher education. Uh, I don't know what that sounds like. I don't care what you really, you know, if people go, oh my God, but you know, yeah, it, if it works for you, it works for you. Would I recommend it? Not really. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, back to Stephen King's reference. He says the best education is to read and read prolifically and read things that you would not ordinarily read and read a lot of it because that's how you really get better. And that's what I've learned, I think, the most is the more I read, the better my writing becomes. Yeah, same here. And when I'm stuck, the first thing I'll do is grab a book that I love and start to read it and see if it can unlock something to me. I mean, I do think like, and it just, you're right, it's a very personal thing because, you know, there might be someone out there that's from a tiny town and they haven't met other writers and they don't have access to like the best education in their town or whatever. And an MFA, if they get in, might be the thing that unlocks everything for them. So it's easy for me to say that because I was lucky enough to land in Austin for college and it was, it's always been such a strong literary place, but had I been, you know, I don't know where else, uh, college station, Texas, or, you know, I don't know, like maybe going and getting into a really great MFA program would be the thing that makes me be a published author. And I do like that MFAs make you take your writing super seriously yeah. in terms of the business, because yeah. that's a good thing. I mean, you have to get serious if you want to get published. It's like, and yeah, you just brought up an excellent point, May. And this is another th thing I would highly recommend is conventions. I'm a really big fan. I mean, I made some really great connections at Thriller Fest back in 2019, pre all this craziness. Mm -hmm. And some of those connections still live with me today, have become yeah. really good friends. But I learned that, you know, they, they bring in the heavy hitters like this coming up in June. I'll be going back again. But they bring in some of the best writers in the world and you get to sit at their feet and learn kind of how they did it. So I think that interaction with other writers, as well as the uh, accessibility to people who were out there doing it is so invaluable. I think so too. That I'm a huge fan of that. Um, you which, never know, like, it's not just about like, oh, maybe they'll introduce me to their agent, or maybe I'll get a blurb. It's like, it's, it's more nebulous than that. Like you might meet someone, I'm sure you've had this experience, and you can't even imagine how that connection will play out but then it can like it can be like a beautiful thing on down the road to where it's like maybe you get asked to go to a conference and maybe they're on a panel and then you know and that's yeah. what I found I mean that so I try to say yes to to a lot of stuff because you just don't know like it, when you're going to meet your next bestie out there even right you know? so right. there's a term in um 
I, I studied at the Groundlings Improv at one time out in Los Angeles, and improv teaches you how to think fast on your feet, also coming from radio, and so much of radio is off the top of your head. But there's a phrase that's called yes and. So when someone goes to set you up for a joke or uh, to continue the story, you you might go, hey, what's that uh, gun doing in your hand? You would not go, well, there's not a gun in my hand. It's a glass of water because you've stopped the emotion. You've stopped the action. But if you go, yeah, well, you know, it's not just any gun. It's a water gun full of vodka, right? So then all of a sudden it becomes funny and you're propelling it forward. Oh, so that's I, cool. Yeah, so I kind of use the uh, use that analogy for going to conventions and saying yes to things because one never knows when one might, um, like you said, meet a best friend or have a connection that helps their career. Now, I'm not yeah. saying to go to those things and go, hey, I'm going to be friends with you, so you'll write me a blurb. I think that's kind of yeah. bullshit and, yeah. uh, and not the way to go about it. But yeah. if the relationship grows and all of a sudden one day May turns to me and said, hey, David, I'd love to read your book, you know, The Poser. And I'm like, here, there you go. Read it. And if all of a sudden yeah. you go, oh, I really liked it. And then you then we have a connection. Then I say, hey, May, since you're, you know, you're a hot rock star, would you give me a blurb? That would be one thing that yeah. makes sense to me. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, before we get to rapid fire questions, as we start to wrap the show, I want to do a ask this question and it's perfectly uh, on the heels of what we just talked about. And that is, I like to ask authors, especially uh, for their advice as it pertains to up and coming writers. So if you had one single best piece of advice, what do you suppose that would be? The best piece of advice I have is you can write a novel in a year, in tiny chunks of time. So if you have 15 minutes where, you know, your wife is bathing your child, do not get on Twitter like I do. Go sit down and write that scene. And you'll be surprised at how it adds up. I wrote my first novel, Big Woods, in tiny chunks of time in a year, and I couldn't believe it because uh, my son was very young then. And he was with us most of the time. And, um, and, and just also like always keep the story in your head. So if you're on the subway or uh, sitting in line at the doctor's office and you have an idea, just jot it, type it up in your iPad, iPhone notes, and then email it to yourself. And you'll just be surprised how quickly it can grow. And then you might be, you know, 10,000 words in. And then guess what? You only have 80,000 to go. And it sounds like a lot. And then when you get to the middle, you want to give up and throw it in the trash because I do every time. But then, oh my gosh, when you get to like, you've only got 20,000 words left and you can see that finish line. And, I, and so piggybacking on that is try to finish a draft because I feel like no matter how terrible you think it is, having that finished piece is so invaluable and and my teacher, Amanda Ward, told us that. She said everyone in her MFA who actually finished got somewhere. But the people that just tried to make a beautiful 51st pages, they never got anywhere. They stayed there polishing their beautiful 51st pages. So don't be too precious about it. <laughs> Such rock solid advice. That is so good. Bec uh, so you're, let's put it into this phrase. Uh, capitalize on those small stolen moments. Yeah. 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 Cause I, if I have a whole day to write, I don't write the whole day. And sometimes that's a death sentence for me and I yeah. can overthink and stuff. But if I'm like, okay, I've got 
two hours, you know, and I'll sit down and I'll do 30 minute sprints. I, that just works for me, but maybe I'm ADD and undiagnosed, but anyway. <laughs> Get on my couch. I'll write a prescription. <laughs> I think I'm thinking of John Gilstrap and John Gilstrap says, uh, he is a, I think he's an absolute pantser. He doesn't, he, he just sits down and he rolls with it and you wouldn't, I mean, this guy is prolific. But here's the thing, he gives great advice. And he says that he loves deadlines. He loves it when he gets backed into a corner. So sometimes he'll he'll let uh, several days go by knowing that he has to make a hard stop and then he'll force himself into it. And I, and I was kind of thinking, I was thinking of that uh, when you were talking about that. Sometimes doing that self-imposed pressure. But I like the idea of constantly jotting down notes. And my wife is constantly, uh, we'll be driving someplace or we'll be, you know, and I'll get, kind of be lost in thought. She goes, let me guess, you're working on your book. I'm like, oh yeah, I, um, there's this thing that I haven't been able to figure out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's important, right? To keep it in the subconscious. And I find also it's important to do that because because if you can't actually write for three days, but if you're thinking about it, you don't feel as lost when you get back to the page. It's not like, oh, God, I haven't been to the gym all week and now I have to open the front door. And, you know, it's like it's just easier to slip back in because you've never left the world, even exactly. if you haven't sat down and written a word. Yeah. And I like your thought there about just get through the first draft. We're, we're way too hard on ourselves and way too judgmental about that first draft. And anybody who's ever written anything in the whole world knows that the real story comes alive after the second or third or eighth or 10th or 15th. Who cares how many, and a, and a draft may not be rewriting the whole thing. You may just simply read through it and polish some corners and add in a little extra red herring or something. And, you know, it's the layer effect, right? Yeah, totally, totally agreed. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, there's a new feature on the show since uh, last time we spoke called Rapid Fire Questions. All right. And before your palms start to sweat, it's easy. So don't worry okay. about it. <laughs> Question number one, leaning on, of course, the cover of your book. Uh, if you were a cocktail, think of your cover there. If you were a cocktail, what would you be and why? I would be a gin and tonic because um, I have some twang to me. <laughs> And I'm also uh, a, a good companion for the summer. Okay. <laughs> My favorite drink, by the way. I know, right? Yes. Number two, if you were suddenly face-to-face -face with a thug like Will Harding, what would you hope to have on your person? Or perhaps you're, maybe it's something that you are most likely to have nearby. Maybe you're never without this. But uh, you had to defend yourself, suddenly approached what would you hope to have on your person? I honestly think my iPhone so I could call for help. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, uh, Will, uh, would be thugger. Hang on one second. Yes, 911. Hold on one second, Will. 911, here's my emergency. <laughs> exactly. That's how un East Texas I am. I can't even defend myself. <laughs> All right. Number three, here's a fun one. Let's say Hollywood just bought the TV series rights to My Summer Darlings. 
double-fingered crossing. They've asked you to cast Jen, Kitty, and Cynthia. Do you have any ideas who you might like cast in those roles? And I think so. I think for Kitty, my dream would be Reese Witherspoon. Oh, yeah. For Jen, I would love Sienna Miller. And for Cynthia, I haven't thought about her yet, but um, gosh... I'll have to come back to that one. Okay. Blank. Yeah. That's fine. That listen, I, I I was amazed. A lot of people go, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it, but I had a funny feeling you might have given yeah. it some thought. Yeah. A little second, little second piece to that question. I'm curious. Would you have any interest playing a little cameo? Come on, because you're a ham, and I think you're probably a good little closet actress. So. Is there anybody in that book, My Summer Darlings, that you go, you know, yeah, I'd like to come in and play that little. Honestly, uh -huh. I, I love that you say that, but I really don't like myself on camera at all. So <laughs> it's, no, I, unless I was wearing like, um, a, a, you know, a costume, like, a, what's it called? A disguise? Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. I'm okay. not a good actress at all. <laughs> the worst. Okay. Fair enough. You know, sometimes, you know, there's closet hams in all of us. So I, I just yeah. never know. Yeah. yeah. Well, folks, if you'd like to learn more about Mae Cobb and her wonderful book, My Summer Darlings, just visit MayCobb.com. And you can also follow her on Twitter like I do at MayKCobb or Instagram May underscore Cobb. So there's all kinds of ways to find May. Oh, man, this was fun. It was, David. Thank you so much for having me back on. I really appreciate it. Yes, it was my pleasure. And happy anniversary to us. And you yeah. were there to kick it off. I love it. Happy anniversary. And please tell Tammy hello. And one day we will have Vesper martinis together and take an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're talking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, once again, the world famous May Cobb. <laughs> Well, May, you be good. Thank you again for your time. It's always, I just think the world of you. And Thank you, David. I yeah. really appreciate it. I have so much fun with you, and uh, we'll talk soon. That was just all sorts of fun, as it always is when I sit down with May Cobb. The book, once again, My Summer Darlings, and you know how to find her. Now, what do you say we check into next week's show? Frank Severo is going to be talking about his latest thriller, The Ride Along. That's coming up next Thursday. Folks, I just want to say once again, thank you so much for dropping by and checking our show out. If you are on Apple Podcast, could you do me a quick little favor? Really would appreciate it. Just drop us a review. One to five stars. We really like five. If you like it, tell us about it. If you hate it, you can tell us about that too. But we'd love to hear from you either way. You can also send emails to thethrillerzone at gmail.com. That's it for this week. I'm your host, David Temple, and I'll see you next week on another edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.